0: This morning it is a blessing uh, to preach to you guys from God's word. We are taking a pause from First Peter. We're going to take a step out of it, but we will be mindful of the, the grand command that Jesus gave us at the very beginning. So um, I want to uh, make sure that um, you guys understand where we're headed this morning. There's a road map. It's called your teaching outline. There's a, a few details noted there. There's a lot of scripture. Um, that I would encourage you guys to read through, meditate on, and to consider throughout the week as you look at those teaching points. Um, but this morning, the title of the message is Glorifying God in Marriage. And I didn't want to stop there. I said Glorifying God in Marriage and in All of Life because we recognize that not everybody here is married. And so I want you guys to see how some of the truths that we're looking at and commanded in are applied to any, everybody's circumstances, everybody's situation in life. This morning, so the question then is asked: Is how can we glorify God in our marriage roles? God has given us some specific roles as husband and wife. In the last two weeks, we've seen from First Peter on what God has commanded within those roles. Last week was a very, um, a brief passage; it was one verse, but it was loaded, and uh, it led us into further um, considerations of what God's Word has for us as husbands. And today we're going to look at a few more specific roles there. But I want us to really consider some of the, uh, the greater uh, schemes and the greater priorities of life as individuals and what glorifying God within our marriage roles looks like. And so that's where our primary focus will be. There will be um, kind of an introductory, uh, some thoughts and things I want us to consider that are not in your notes. Um, don't panic if you're a note taker and trying to find a place to write that down on your handout. I'd be happy to share some of those verses and passages and, uh, and points with you guys um, afterwards. So you can just send me an email or give me a call at the church number and I'd be glad to share those with you. So um, uh, don't be anxious if, if you're all of a sudden hearing some verses and they're not listed there. Um, feel free to, to, to ping me after the message and, and let me know. So this morning, um, I want us to consider and I want us to recall the grand command. How many of you guys remember hearing about a grand command as we started out in 1 Peter chapter 1? A few of you guys. So it's good we need the reminder. And, And that reminder this morning is the grand command that we were given in 1 Peter was a call to be holy in all of our conduct. As God is holy. And we're going to look at that verse a little bit later on. But in view of that grand command that we are a people created by God to be holy in all of our conduct, not selective conduct, not in certain areas of life, not in circum- certain circumstances of life, but in every single possible area that we have life to breathe. And so God has called us to be holy. We are a, a holy people as his beloved sons and daughters. And so we have been called to be holy in our life, but we're also called to be glorifying God in everything that we do. And this is through holy living. So there's this relationship and this, um, this obvious um, um, relationship, really, of what it looks like to live a holy life because a holy life is always glorifying and pleasing to God because it considers His best. So we want to be increasingly obedient to God. We want to be increasingly obedient and mindful of every single one of his commands. That's why we study the scriptures. That's why he's given us his words so that we would dig deep into it, that we would consider all that it has to say, not those selective passages again. We want to consider all the commands that God has for us as husbands, as wives, as workers, as employees, as business owners, as servants, as as bond servants, as those slaves to Christ that we are. And so... That's an exhaustive list, and that's, we can't accomplish that today. And so that's the, the beauty of those disciplines that we have, those personal disciplines of being continually at the feet of God in His Word and, and asking Him to convict us of any sin, asking Him to inform us of those commands that we need to grow in obedience to or even be mindful of that very first time. So with the subject of today's message that is glorifying God in marriage, automatically there's some of you who might've just kind of like tuned out. You're like, oh, I'm not married. Um, or unfortunately, maybe you are a widow or a widower and God has has called your spouse home. Uh, or maybe you're the not yet married, Lord willing. One day you'll get married. You have a desire to be married. I know we have people that have been married uh, for a number of weeks. We have people that have been married in this last year. I talked to a couple this morning. Married during the pandemic time, like my daughter was as well. And, and uh, Lord willing, my, my son, this coming Saturday. So we, uh, we have much to rejoice in, but there are circumstances of life that some of us are single and some of us are married. But God has uh, a great understanding of truths that he wants to convey to every single one of us this morning. And I'm mindful of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, which might be a passage that you guys have memorized. If you have memorized it, you certainly have heard it. It reads this way. It says, all Scripture not some of it, but all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So how does this passage inform us, or how does it apply to topical messages that might not seem to apply to me or to you today? How do we take that verse, and those, those those two verses, and say, well, you know, what does that actually tell me is, you know, I'm not married, so I'm going to just kind of check out. I'm going to, I'll hear what you have to say about being a husband or being a wife, but that doesn't really apply to me, so I, I don't need to pay attention, or I don't need to necessarily be aware, aware of it, or maybe I don't even need to hide it away in my heart. It's not passages to memorize, but my encouragement to you is that all Scripture is valuable to us for informing our minds and our hearts we're doing a work in our hearts to convict us, to shape us, to train us in holiness, which again was what we are called to be, a holy people. And most importantly, Scripture not only reveals the truth of man's condition, but the very nature of God himself. So as we look at topics that seem not to apply to us, we grow an understanding of who God is. We grow an understanding of his design for all of us is designed for his creation. We grow an understanding of the relationship that he has with his creation, and we grow an understanding of how that creation can glorify him. So we might it might not particularly pertain to our circumstance or situation today, but it certainly reveals his attributes, his characters, which is what Pastor Tom pointed us to in his prayer this morning. He's the God who sanctifies us. So if we see how God desires man and woman to relate within a marriage, It grows us an understanding of his relationship with us as sons and daughters. It grows us an understanding of Christ's relationship with the church. And so today I would encourage everybody, regardless of whether you're young or old, whether you're single or married or a widow or a widower, to pay attention to, to see God's attributes, his characteristics, to hear his heart for his creation. And so that is my encouragement to each one of you as we consider some of the passages this morning. So there's some fundamental biblical reminders that are always helpful to bring um, right perspectives into our lives that we obviously have to consider before looking at topical commandments, right? We always want to make sure that when we, when we pull passages out of, out of Scripture, that they're always taken in context of what that passage says, but they're also in view of the whole biblical theological um, viewpoint of the gospel of Jesus Christ from be- beginning to end. We can't pull a subject matter out and say, well, this is what this says in this verse, but it kind of doesn't, it kind of conflicts with, you know, God's redemption of mankind. We have to be mindful of how it works in perfect harmony and unity with the rest of God's commands. And so today, there's a couple of great commands that I want us to have as a grid for us as we look at the roles of husbands and wives. And there's two great commands in particular that I want us to look at. But before we even get there, I want us to be reminded that God is the one who has full authority over our lives. And that's easy to say. It's easy to understand. It's easy to consider and be reminded of, even as we sang this morning, that God is the creator of mankind. And so as creator, he is all powerful. He's the one who had the master plan, the master design for his creation. We're his created being. And so because of that, he's the one who has full authority over our lives. Now, he didn't make us to be just a bunch of robots who would, you know, just walk through life just, you know, being controlled like a marionette almost by God, right, where he's pulling our strings. He gives us the opportunity to choose to honor him, to glorify him. And that's such a blessing. The freedoms that we have in Christ Jesus, yet the instruction that he has for us. If we didn't have instruction from God, life would be very confusing. Life would be very stressful. There would be no peace. Because we would always be concerned about whether we were actually glorifying God in our actions. So God has full authority over our lives. God made us a people to glorify him by living godly lives, right? So we know that we are positionally, right? We are positionally and practically a holy people. We have to recognize who we are in Christ Jesus, that we're clothed in Christ Jesus' righteousness before the throne of God. But because we're still in this fleshly body... Just like Paul struggled with sin, we too struggle with sin. And so it's that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in our life that changes us and grows us in holiness to reflect who we are in position. First Corinthians chapter 10.31 is the charge to us. It says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So everything in life, no matter what we're doing, is all to be for God's glory. Needless to say, we cannot sin for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. John chapter 17, verse 20 through 23. Jesus is offering this prayer up, and I want to read the passage to you. John seventeen twenty through 23. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. The Holy Spirit is the one who has redeemed us, who's remade us. We are new. We're new creations, but the beautiful thing about us being a new creation in Christ Jesus is that if Christ is in us, he's also in our brothers and sisters. The same spirit that indwells us unifies us with our brothers and sisters, and we both are growing in holiness. And so as we increase in holiness, we should see more and more of Christ in us. And there's that unifying work of the spirit when people see Christ in us and they see Christ in our brother and sister, they see Christ. We look the same just as when people looked At Jesus, in his earthly ministry, they saw the Father. Amen? Amen. So our lives will require us to constantly choose to honor God. So we know that he has full authority in our lives. We know that we are his creation, that we are a people who have been made holy and who are supposed to be increasing in holiness. But in order for us to increase in holiness, we have to make choices. We have to make choices that either honor the Lord or are for our are for ourselves. So we know that when we choose things that are fleshly, when we choose things that are prideful and build ourselves up rather than make much of Christ, it's dishonoring to the Lord. So in our roles as husband and wife, we're making choices constantly. We're choosing whether we respond, how we respond, the tone that we respond, the things that we do, the ways that we serve or choose not to serve, the ways that we lead or actually don't lead the ways that we're passive or maybe, maybe aggressive or passively aggressive with our spouse. God has given us a cr- tremendous ministry within the, our marriages to make much of God, to point our spouse to Christ Jesus by example and by our words and through the word of God himself. So relationships, especially marriage relationships, are opportunities given by God to fulfill his purposes amongst his creation. So we are his ambassadors, we are his ministers of reconciliation, we have the opportunity to reflect Christ in all that we do and all that we say, and there's no relationship that we have that is more pointed in that than marriage itself. We spend more time with our spouse, Lord willing, other than possibly the workforce, um, than others. Those are relationships that we choose to be a part of. And so, what are God's purposes for us? Well, we have the great command. I want us to think of the two commands that he's given us. The great command found in Mark chapter 12. And we'll go ahead and turn there this morning. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 31. It's a passage we're all familiar with. We taught through Mark not too long ago. These, this passage should be written on your heart. It should be something that you meditate on, consider uh, constantly. This is a passage where Jesus is being challenged to, um, to give an answer. They're trying to trap him, yet he answered with the wisdom that is from above. He answered with the wisdom from God. Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through, 20, uh, through 31 says this, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. We're told also that if we fulfill these two commandments, we've, we're fulfilling all the rest of the commandments. These are the two commandments that God has called us to do. God didn't just call us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. He didn't stop there. He didn't say it's just a heartfelt love, which would be helpful, obviously, if it was heart, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. That's what we would be proclaiming. But all of us are wired differently. Right? We have some who are maybe more analytical, and I've probably said this countless times, but we have some that are analytical, right? So loving God with their mind is easy, right? It's a factual thing. They, they make that decision to love God with their mind. We have others that maybe are more feeling-based, right? And so loving God with all of their heart, oh man, that emotion stirs up within them, and that's something that's so easy. But sometimes those feelings are manipulate, don't uh, get manipulated by the mind, Then the Lord calls us to love him with his soul and with our strength. There's action that needs to be evident in our Christian walk. There's action that needs to be displayed of our love for God. And the depth of our soul in all that we do and all that we say needs to be based on a a deep and genuine love for God. So God's given us this great command. We filter all all that we do as a husband and wife through this great command of making sure that we're loving God completely and that we're loving our neighbor as ourself. And again, there's no, one, there's no closer neighbor to a husband or wife than their spouse. We also have this great commission that God has given us. Jesus in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, how does that apply within the marriage context? How does that apply within a husband and wife? I would hope that you would recognize the tremendous discipleship opportunities there are within a marriage. Last night at our Koinonia group, we talked about that. We talked about the many ways that husbands are responsible for the discipleship in the home, and that includes washing their water with the Word of God, appointing them to the Word. It includes the wife even passively being a sanctifier in the, in the marriage, right? Where things are, are said, where actions are available for the husband to recognize his own sinfulness. And sometimes it's, it's unintentional of the wife and vice versa, the husband of the, of the wife, where there's this sanctifying work that is being done within the marriage, within the home of God actually maybe bringing your own sinfulness aware to you by seeing it within your spouse. So we ask the question, you know, what would that biblical truth look like in my life? What would obedience to God look like look like in my life? Well, we might see that obedience exhibited in our in our spouse and go, oh, I need to be more obedient to God that way. But in my life, it's going to look like this, in obedience to God's word. So we've got the great command, the great commission, and it seems like a daunting task. It seems like it's almost impossible to do. And and by in, a, in and of our own strength, it is impossible to do. That's why the, the Lord has given us his spirit, right? He's given us his word. There's another great in God's word, and, and I would call it the great exchange. It's, it's a way that people refer to the work of Christ, the exchange of Christ for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.21 outlines the purpose of Christ. He says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. God the Father made Jesus, the Son of God, to be sin, Jesus was fully obedient to the Father without any sin, but God sent him because of his love for us and because of our need of saving our sake, He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I said before we are a holy people, positionally, and that is because of the work of Jesus Christ, of what he has done, what we sang this morning, of his work on the cross that sanctifies us that it was our sin that he took, that he was the one who paid that atoning sacrifice. He's the one who made that full payment for our sin. Praise the Lord. I want us to turn to Romans chapter 6 this morning. I want to read a passage that, again, reminds us of practical uh, Christian living or active Christian living. It's going to be Romans chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 6 this morning. I want us to see, again, the work of the great exchange of Christ in our life. Romans 6, starting in verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. So God has given us the power and authority over those consequences, the dominion that sin had over us. We're free from that. But now we're free and we're slaves to God. We're slaves to his righteousness. So we're called to be a holy people. We're presented as a holy people, and we're slaves to holiness. Paul in Galatians 2.20 reminds us of that, that great truth as well. And we're reminded to live by faith. And Hebrews tells us that apart from faith, we can do nothing. First Peter 2, verse 21 says, We have been called to follow in his footsteps. Right? Our lives are to look like Christ because he's the one who's living out his Christian life through us. Verse 24 in 1 Peter 2 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might, what? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness, just like we read in Romans chapter 6. Christ died for our sins, not only to save us so that we can spend eternity with him, but he gave us a new purpose for living here on earth. It was that we would no longer be enslaved to sin so that we would be slaves to righteousness. And Paul so clearly in Colossians, after he had just talked about his, his aim, his goal was to present everyone mature in Christ, he reminds us in Colossians of how he actually is doing that. What does he say? He says, for this I toil, and that is presenting everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully worked within me. Paul didn't claim to have the energy and the strength and the wherewithal within himself to be able to actually live out these functions of making disciples. He was relying fully and completely on the strength that Christ would give him. It's the same way within the marriage. The roles that we play as husband and wife, the roles that we are commanded to do, we rely fully and completely on the work of Christ in our life, the power of his Holy Spirit. So our purpose in life doesn't change when we get married right? We don't have this new purpose. We don't have a purpose that says, well, now you don't have to glorify God all the time. You need to, you know, be faithful in your marriage and do all these certain tasks. No, you need to be glorifying God in your new task, in your new responsibilities and the new roles that you have. So there's a realignment. There's a shuffling of of order of the responsibilities that we have. And again, so marriage is this opportunity for us to fulfill the greats, the great commandment, the great commission, and we can only do it the great exchange of Christ living in us and through us. All this, all this to say, let's look at the teaching outline. Okay. Title, Glorifying God in Marriage and All of Life. Point number one in your outline, and there's a fill in the blank here, God created us to glorify him regardless of any earthly circumstances, no exception. Right? God created us to glorify him. There's no exceptions, there's no there's no clauses that say you, can, you have to glorify him, except you know, asterisks if this happens. There's, there's just no possible area of our life that God excludes us from needing to glorify and bring honor to his name. That's a great encouragement because we don't have to filter. It's like, oh, is this one of those times where God says I don't have to glorify him? No, we always need to glorify God. Now, what that looks like in that circumstance and situation it's critical to look at God's word and see, what command does he have specifically for us? Now, sometimes we might struggle to see a specific command, but that's where we consider those greats. We go, well, how can I love God completely through this? How am I actually loving my neighbor through this? How am I fulfilling the great commission? How am I making disciples in this opportunity? So God has created us to glorify him with our whole life. There's some verses that are noted there, are some we've looked at already. Matthew five sixteen says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, let's include your spouse, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We have an opportunity to point our spouse to God simply in the works that we do for them, in the ways that we serve the Lord, and in the ways that we fulfill our, our marriage responsibilities, in the ways that we honor the Lord leads our spouse in worship of God, giving him glory. A couple of points I want us to consider under this truth. The first one is that God is the one who gives us strength to overcome sin and adversities, and for everything, for godly living. Some of the passages that I want to just speak over us this morning are found in Psalms and Colossians that I mentioned. Psalm 28, 7-8 says, the Lord is my strength, right? As Paul reminded us, we, we can't be strong enough in our own to live a life that is pleasing to God. There is no one who does good. Not, no, not one. So the Lord is my strength. He is the strength of his people. Psalm 121, 1 through 2 answers the question where the psalmist says, where does my help come from? From the Lord who made heaven and earth. The one who has authority. The one who has full power over you. His created being. The next point, his Spirit provides peace amidst any trial and any challenge. And marriage can have trials, amen? It can have, amen, it can, there's challenges. And those trials and challenges are often the result of what I do, what you do, right? It's not so much your spouse, right? We are sinners. We are ones who try and live out this life, and so often we choose to live it selfishly. We choose to live it apart from what God's commands are, and we choose to honor ourselves rather than honoring the Lord. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 3-4 reminds us of who God is. It says this, it says, God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So from the simple passage, we hear a couple of of the names of God and, and who he is in his character. He's the father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, I believe Pastor James mentioned it in the past few weeks, tells us to not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God is the one who provides peace. He's the one who is merciful towards us. He's the one who comforts us while we walk through trials, tribulations, and those challenges within the marriage. He's the one that we need to turn to. He's the one that we need to release any anxiety, any fears over to. He's the one that we need to confess to. So not only is God the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, but he's also the God of hope right? As he grants us mercy, as he gives us comfort, he also gives us hope. Romans fifteen thirteen says, "May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Within your marriage, when, when there's struggles happening, when there's challenges, when there's conflict, are you resting and trusting in the God that can only bring peace into that circumstance and situation? By surrendering fully to him, by confessing your sin to him, by looking to him, by praying to him and laying it at his feet and seeking his will. He'll give you hope. He'll give you perseverance through those trials. When he gives you that hope, it says he will fill you with all joy and peace. The fruit of hope is to actually have joy amidst these crazy circumstances of life. Maybe it's amidst the the conflict that you and your wife are having. Maybe it's against, amidst being, um, having physical trials of, of illness or sickness or cancer. The next point under this, this title of that God created us to glorify him regardless of any earthly circumstances is this, that God is the one who grants wisdom and discernment for decisions and direction. Right? None of us are so wise and all-knowing in our own being that we don't need the Lord. We need to constantly ask him, and seek Him for wisdom and direction and discernment, and as husbands, we have a great responsibility to be faithfully leading our wives. What does the Lord tell us about wisdom and discernment and applying it to even marriage? Proverbs chapter one verse seven says, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What does it mean to have a fear of the Lord? It means to have a right understanding of who he is. We sang a few songs today about the holiness of God. What did Isaiah do when he, when he was in the presence of Jesus? He cried out, holy, holy, holy. He fell at his feet and he said, woe is me. We recognize our own sinfulness. When we recognize our own sinfulness, what do we often do with that sinfulness? When we truly see it, we cry out and confess it to the Lord. And because of the brokenness that God has given us, that godly grief that he's given us, we flee from that sinfulness. We repent of it. We run with the strength that the Lord has given us in obedience to his word in a way that honors God, that glorifies his name. So wisdom starts with a fear of the Lord. There's such a great promise in James chapter 1, verse 5 that says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we lay those anxieties at the Lord's feet. We ask him, we plead with him for wisdom. And in his generosity, in his grace, he grants it to us. Gives us that discernment. Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Consider his word, what he has to say to us. His mouth is given to us right here. The full counsel of God, it's sufficient. It's inerrant. It provides wisdom for us as we seek it. The Lord has given us his Holy Spirit to teach us, to instruct us, to help us. The next point under this this point is that we are living testimonies of who God is. We're living testimonies of who Jesus is and what he can do through his creation. As we consider the truth of needing to glorify God in our role as husband and wife, and no matter what role God has you placed in, we have an opportunity to live out a testimony, a right reflection of who Jesus is amidst every single circumstance of life, whether it's at work, whether it's at play, whether it's at rest. We have an opportunity to, to rightly reflect Christ. Second Corinthians twelve nine says, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Again, a song that we sang this morning. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And later on in chapter 13 and five, it says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? When you look at your life and, and you see the fruit of your life, the fruit of all that you do, if you think of what you meditate on, of what's actually in your heart, what's in your soul, do you see Christ? Or do you see your own prideful flesh? When you consider the works that you do within your marriage, the way that you're honoring the Lord or maybe dishonoring him, do you see Christ within, your, within the, the characteristics, the attributes of all that you do? If you don't see the fruit of the Spirit, that I would caution you, I would warn you that possibly the Spirit is not living within you. Or at the very least, that you have grieved the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that you're grieving God. And the right response with that is simply to come before the Lord, confess your sin to Him, and ask Him for forgiveness. To place your trust in Christ for the work that He's done on the cross as payment for your sins, and to move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit in a life of repentance. Marked by obedience of God's commands. The greats and the specifics. John chapter 15. Jesus helps us understand this, this new life in Christ that we have as believers. And it's, it's a hard passage sometimes for us to really dwell and to figure out, like, what does this mean? What does it look like in my life? John 15, verse 4 through 5. I want you to turn in, in your Bibles this morning to read that with me want you to see it in your word, in, in your own Bible. If you are someone who highlights, underlines, marks, books, marks, um, this John chapter 15 is such a powerful passage. Go ahead and notate it that way. John 15, verse 4 through 5. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 1. It reads this way, I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That it may bear bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. This is the truth I want us to consider this morning. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. God has called us to be and live out a holy life, He's called us to glorify Him and all that we do. And this passage makes it really clear that in order to do that, We need to be abiding in Christ and Him in us. We need to maintain that right fellowship with God. First, we need to be in a right relationship with God, as I just shared, but we need to maintain a right fellowship with God. Whether you're a husband or a wife or not married, the Lord is calling you to abide, to dwell with Him. To have that sweet fellowship, that sweet communion that Christ wants to have continually with you. To be constantly in prayer, to pray without ceasing. to be meditating on the truths of God, to be worshiping God, to be praising the Lord God together. That's the joy of who God is, how he has equipped us, he saved us, he's given us a hope for today. So we're living testimonies of who Christ is, especially within our marriage relationship. God has given us a great gift in marriage. Amen. Amen. Number two, relationships are always opportunities. Fill in the blank they're opportunities. Relationships are always opportunities to live out God-designed and God-given roles and responsibilities. Now, in today's society, there's so much confusion, right? About absolutely everything, about identities, about roles, about um, things that um, this world used to have a clear definition of. It seems to be moving left and right and, and totally rebranded. God's word never changes. And as I've said before, it's sufficient and it teaches us and it instructs us. And so we turn back to what God's word says. His role for husbands and wives hasn't changed in the last 2,000 years. It looked the same then as it is today. Circumstances of life change, we have different challenges possibly, but the root of them are are the, the same root that we had before. The pride of life, of sin. So relationships are always opportunities to live out God-designed, God-given roles. I want us to turn back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. That charge that the Lord has given to us, we call it the grand command. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16 this morning. I want us to refocus on that. It says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action... And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If Christ is living in you, the Holy One, you should see holiness in your life. The beauty of marriage is the partnership that God has created. And that that unity that we talked about earlier in Scripture, that God has given us His Spirit to live within us so we might be united with other believers is evident within our spouses, especially if they're saved. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 was part of my reading this last week, and it's such a great reminder of how two are better than one. I just want to read it to you, and for us to be mindful of the beauty of marriage and how two within a marriage are better than one, than someone on their own. It says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken a great picture of the value of relationship, not only being in right relationship with the Lord, but in being a right relationship with our peers, and especially this morning within the context of marriage. We see that there's great fruit of labor. We see that God's design within, within the companionship of, of a marriage produces great fruit. There's multiplication that obviously happens within, within a family unit. There's security and safety found as a husband lovingly cares for his wife, their strength that is seen to overcome all kinds of adversities. So, what does the Bible actually say about the position that God has placed you in? If you're not married, and there's other roles that God has you in, I, I challenge you this week to consider what God's Word has to say for you in those roles, whether it's singleness, whether it's an, as an employee or as an employer, whether it's as a friend or a servant. This morning, we need to consider the roles of husbands and wives, and we're not going to spend a huge amount of time on it, but I do want to talk about some of those points that are um, spoken to us. If we would turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, I want us to read and reflect on some of the truths and the commands from that passage. Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. We're going to start our reading in verse 22. Verse twenty-two starts off with instructions for wives, but this is right on, on the heels or on the after Paul has given instruction to the Ephesian church, where he's warned them to, con, to careful, consider carefully how they walk, not as unwise but as wise. We've already talked about asking the Lord for wisdom and seeking wisdom in His Scriptures. The Lord also challenges them to make the best use of their time, because the days are evil. To have a right priority of all the things that God has in front of you. He says, Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, so to seek out the Lord's will in your life. He encourages each other to address each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what leads up to this passage about wives and husbands, submitting to one another with reverence for Christ, making the best use of your time. So, wives, here we go. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And husbands, for you, it's more than one verse this time, right? Here's some increased clarity for us. Husbands, love your wives. It doesn't just stop there, right? Give some some defining factors of what this love for our wife should look like. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Are we loving our wives that way, so sacrificially, to the point where we're, we're willing even to die? Are we dying to our selfishness? Are we giving our life for our wife? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Guys, is that your purpose in loving your wife? that you would be presenting your wife holy without any blemish before the Father? That great commission that we have, right? To be making disciples. We're being charged by God to be making disciples within our home. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's much in that passage, and I just wanted to read through it so we would again, have some insight and understanding as to the specific commands and roles that God has given us as husbands and wives. What loving each other should truly refre- reflect and look like. That we would have a right order of priority in, in our lives of loving God first, like the great commandment is, and then loving neighbors as ourselves. What happens when we're loving neighbors or we're loving those in our lives more than God? We have that misplaced priority, right? We start to idolize maybe our spouse, which is easy to do, especially when you're, when you're newly married, right? You're so in love, infatuated with your wife that you start to idolize her and you find that maybe your fellowship with the Lord might be diminishing or slipping away. Now, for some of us who have walked with the Lord for a long time and who have been married for a long time, we need to re, re-spark and reunite, reunite our love for our spouse in the way that we were taught in the last couple of weeks, right? To value, to understand your wife, to care for her in such intimate and deep ways that we want what's best for her, that we would be mindful of the best ways to disciple her, the best way to, to love for her, to serve her, to care for her. But we, can't, we can never let that miss, we can never let that overcome our love for the Lord. And the beauty of loving the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our, with all of our strength, with all of our soul, all of our mind, is that a right fellowship with God, a complete fellowship and love of God will, wash, will flesh itself out in your relationship with other people, that you love them as Christ loves you. We'll love people and will honor people as the created beings that they are. So husbands, some, some of the roles that God has given us in your, in your handout, in your notes this morning, we're to live with our wife in an understanding way and to show honor to them. Understanding mean as a recipient as of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we're gracious as God has been gracious with us, that we seek to understand them and to value them and to care for them and love them, that we seek to know them. It shows honor to them. Husbands, we're called to love our wife as Christ loved the church. We already talked a little bit about that. We're called to love them sacrificially. We're called to surrender our life before God, that his will would be made known in us and through us, that we would reprioritize our life, whether we're at work or whether we're at home, whether we're at play, that we would always look to honor and glorify God. And in the same way, we're called to love our wife sacrificially. We're called to provide for and to lead our wife. Paul charges us, he says, for those who... Um, who can who can work? Who do not work? They should not eat, right? Those who are not working, who are not providing, they shouldn't be eating, and the church shouldn't step in and provide for them. God has placed a responsibility and a burden on us as men to be working and to providing for our families. Another role that God has given us—we've already talked about it. We're called to disciple our wives called to pray with our wives, with the called to pray for our wives. When we disciple our wives, we're encouraging her. We're encouraging her faith. God uses that as an opportunity to increase her understanding of the scriptures, to increase her understanding of who God is. Whether it's an example or whether it's in word, she should be seeing Christ. She should be hearing of your walk with the Lord. She should be seeing your walk with the Lord. As you pray for her, your, trust, your, your wife grows in trust of you because she hears how you're making petitions to God, how you're surrendering your life to God, how you're pleading with God for wisdom and insight. She knows that if you're trusting in God, that she can trust in you. It's a lot easier for her to submit to you. Now, wives, you're not just only supposed to submit to your husband selectively when he is fully trusting God but in all ways and in all things. And the importance of husbands praying for their wives is also reciprocal that wives need to be praying for their husbands that they would be seeking the Lord first and foremost in their life. It's pretty easy for us to be selfish that our spouse would seek and and serve us rather than the Lord. Whether you're a husband or a wife, pray that your spouse would be seeking the Lord constantly and that they would have a right relationship with them. If you're the spouse that makes the meal and you haven't been able to spend time with the Lord yet that day, then hopefully your spouse will take that burden off of you and encourage you to go spend time at the feet of Christ in his word or maybe even lead you in it as well. So wives, you're to be subject to your own husbands, right? That's where the selective part comes in, right? Don't, don't choose another man to follow or another man to submit to when God has given you a husband. A perfect husband for you, he has given you. We're to be respectful in words and conduct of your husband and the Lord, as first Peter charges. Wives, you are to be a helpmate. Genesis chapter two reminds us of that. God looked at, at Adam and said, He doesn't have a suitable helper. He created Eve to be a helpmate to Adam. Wives, you have an opportunity as a wife to also disciple other women as generations of women is focused on. You have an opportunity to share your experiences, your testimony of God at work in your life as a wife with those that are possibly younger in the faith. and encourage you to try and fulfill the commandment of discipling other women as you consider your role as a wife. You call to manage your households and to give the adversary no occasion for slander. Manage your own households, right? Don't worry about trying to manage somebody else's household. God hasn't given you that responsibility. Praise the Lord. He's, he's taken that burden off of you, right? You look at another house and you go, oh, that one's a mess. I could clean that up. Any, any woman ever look at another household and think that way? I've got something valuable to share with them. No, disciple that person by pointing them to the word of God. Don't critique them. Come alongside them as a sister in Christ. When we look at Proverbs 31, there are so many tasks that are exemplified there of a godly woman. I would encourage you to consider what those might look like obediently in your life. But the end of Proverbs 31 speaks to the greatest thing that you need to be mindful of. You need to fear the Lord. And that's for both husbands and wives. A healthy fear of the Lord will cause you to be quick to confess any sin will cause you to look for ways to be obedient, will cause you to look to ways that you need to surrender your life to God in. So two questions. How can you be even more obedient to God today in your role? How can you apply the gospel and the love and grace of God to the circumstances you are in right now? There's three points that we'll be looking at and we'll go through them quickly. We need to apply the biblical truths for holiness and obedience to our lives. The first one is really is to submit, right? We need to have a quiet and humble spirit surrendering to God so that you can rightly worship him with your life. The psalmist in Psalm 51 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And then God speaking in Isaiah 66, says, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So, submitting to the Lord, having that quiet and humble spirit means that we're making, ch- chooses, making choices to remain faithful to God. Point number two, we're flying through these, I know. Point number two, service. We need to enjoy the companionship that God ordained in your marriage and fulfill your God given responsibilities in marriage faithfully in the strength, love, and grace of Christ as he equips you to to be obedient to his commands to live that holy life. Enjoy the companionship that God offers you in marriage. It's easy to all of a sudden start living a separate life and to be concerned about your um, your own practices, your own desires. Consider that God has united together, you together as one. Enjoy each other. Fulfill what God has called you to do as a husband and wife consider others as more important than yourself don't be self-serving within your marriage but surrender yourself and consider how you can bless your spouse thirdly called to worship right we're called to worship by giving thanks to god for his gift to you of a spouse give thanks both in words to god and through obedience of actions so we're submitting we're enjoying we're fulfilling and now it's time to give right? And we give thanks to God. Proverbs 18.22 says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And we've all heard this verse before and and we note the order of the words there. It doesn't say he who finds a good wife finds a thing, right? It's he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Your wife is a good thing. Your wife is a blessing, is a gift from the Lord. She is the perfect wife for you. She's the one that God has, in his will and authority, has given you. What a blessing your wife is to you. Proverbs 5.18 says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Don't stop being thankful and rejoicing to God for your wife. Some of us have been married for more than 20 years, for 25 years, 30 years, 50 years. I know some of you. Keep rejoicing in that good gift that God has given you decades ago. So in all these things, we're to have a complete love of God. We're to love God with our heart, with our soul, with our strength and our mind. We're to sing praises to the Lord. We're to give thanks to God for his holy name. And when we do that, it's going to affect how we care and love and fulfill those commands that God has given us as a spouse. So what is my charge to you today, this morning? Submit your life fully to the Lord. Surrender your life to him. Choose to love God fully, completely. Serve the Lord with gladness. Gladness. Be faithful to all that God has commanded you. Not selectively. Don't steer away from the hard commands, right? But rest and trust fully in the work of Christ within you. The power of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, worship the Lord in all that you do. Whatever you do, God has created you to be giving glory to him. Be quick to... Deflect any praise that comes to you and redirect it to God where the praise is rightly due. Even within the marriage, if your wife is patting you on the back, give God the praise and glory. Let her know that it's God who's doing that work in you. She knows it. So worship the Lord in all that you do, all that you say in your thought life, all while while prioritizing in a God-honoring way the desires of your heart. Let's bow our heads in prayer to close this morning. Father, you are a great and mighty God. And we rejoice in the gift of Jesus, your Son, our Savior and our Lord. We thank you for the clear instructions that you give us in your word for the roles that we have as husbands, as wives. But Lord, we also thank you for those overarching commands that we need to filter all things through. Lord, the call to love you completely with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, the the call to prioritize that love above all things. Lord, that we wouldn't idolize anything in this world, even the tremendous gift of a spouse that you've given us. Lord, help us to love others as Christ loves them, as we have received Christ's love, that we would carefully consider how to love others. Lord, as we consider the Great Commission and the call to make disciples, help us to consider within our own households, with our spouses, with kids, with grandkids. Lord, with visitors, with each person that the Lord brings across across our path. Lord, that we would be faithful to share Christ and who he is. That we'd be faithful to share the truths of God's word. That we would always have a verse to be meditating on. That when somebody asks us how we're doing or what we're thinking on today, they give us a penny for our thoughts, that we would be pointing them back to you. One of your attributes, one of the works that you've done, one of the ways that we are rejoicing in who you are today. Lord, we are a people who need to live a life surrendered to you for your glory as your servants so fully equipped by your spirit. And according to your word, we rejoice in that opportunity to have, to honor you and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.